Hello, and welcome to Kill Your Silos, the only show about operations that dares to ask the fundamental question at the heart of every operator's mind. That question, of course, is, is there a better way to manage all this shit? There is, and it's called Revenue Operations. Each episode, I will host one of the innovators of operations and ask them their thoughts. Today, I will be speaking with Andrew Lobb. Hello, Andrew. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Good. Uh, you're the Director of Revenue Operations at Zinier, an innovator in the field service automation industry. Andrew, you're a self-proclaimed operations nerd, Christy told me during the pre-interview, which I'm so excited to dive into, primarily because I call myself an operations geek. So the first question I have for you is, is there a difference between an operations nerd and an operations geek? I don't think so. I you think, don't think so? No, oh because I think it means that we both have a passion for it. And we get excited solving these complex problems and diving in the metrics. Jesus, what a nerd thing to say. What a nerd <laughs> thing to say, Andrew. Uh, no, great. Okay. So when I say I am an operations geek, what I mean is I'm obsessed with the concept that um, your job as an operator within a business is to basically be a psychologist, a system design, game designer, and a data scientist all in one thing. And I can't think of a more dynamic role to have in an organization except for maybe, you know, a C-level role. But you really touch every aspect of the business when you're in operations. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. So maybe just a little bit of your background. Where do you come from? How did you end up in the seat that you're in? I mean, I know how you ended up there. That's your house. But how did you end up in the proverbial seat of a director of revenue operations? Yeah, I have a, a pretty unique uh, career path in the sense that I came from the hospitality industry first. Uh, right out of college, started working for Caesars Entertainment, food and beverage consultant. So still diving into the operational metrics of what makes a restaurant successful. And just after years of doing that, I met a group of guys that was starting a uh, startup for the scheduling world and wanted me to come on board and immediately started wearing multiple hats. So not only did I sell the product, uh, I crafted some marketing I did some very, very janky campaigns. I even QA'd the product on new releases. So we were a small shop that uh, eventually grew and that opportunity brought me out to the West Coast from the East Coast. And awesome. I joined a startup uh, called Prosperworks. Again, hyper growth, young company when I started with those guys. And my job was to stand up the SDR, BDR teams. And in doing so, we had no one collecting metrics at the time. We didn't have any operations. So naturally, I just fell into that role because, again, it's kind of my passion. And from there, uh, kickstarted the sales ops division at Copper or Prosperworks. Uh, that eventually grew into business systems slash revenue ops, um, which was a great four-year run. And now I'm at Zinier. Uh, running RevOps. So it's been a unique path, but definitely exciting. What's the common theme through all of those roles that, that, that makes you a superstar uh, at each company that you work at? Yeah. So it's always been uh, customer facing, go to the market, right? And what I find very interesting is when we're faced with a complex challenge, how do we solve that and optimize that as we move forward? And I think from early on, even at my days at my first startup, Ready, Set, Work, uh, we were addressing some of those challenges. And then as I expanded to a company, you know, that was tens of millions in revenue, those challenges were exacerbated. So they became even more complex, which naturally I just rolled up my sleeves and got into it. 
Awesome. If I said that um, as an operator, like I said, you uh, have to be a psychologist, a game designer, and a data scientist, which role do you not like the most? <laughs> uh, probably the, the psychologist part. Oh. I'm, a, I'm, I'm a data guy. I, I like when there's data, there's no middle ground, right? It, it's black and white. And that to me is a, a great aspect. When you get into the psychological side, it can be more frustrating at times, I would feel. Uh-huh. Um, so if I was prioritizing or ranking them, that would that would come in last. <laughs> Great. We have a ton of psychology questions for you moving forward on, on Can't wait. Kill Your Silas. <laughs> All right. One question I always ask every guest is, for you, what has been the signs of silo syndrome hitting your organization? One of them is information hoarding, right? And I mm. think this happens naturally in a fast-paced environment because you have people that are blocked by some goal and sometimes those are operators and they're trying to get to that one goal, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're seeing the bigger picture. So they're hyper-focused in their little area that's growing and they are putting in whatever it may be, let's say MQLs, right? And they're optimizing that. However, there's other people down the road like a sales ops person that's looking at MQLs and may interpret it in a different way, therefore ending in a different result. So I think that that happens naturally and it's not of malice by any means. Um, And then I think the other piece would probably be, hmm, I would say alignment overall across departments. So as a RevOps, you're working with marketers, you're working with sales folks, customer success, partnerships and if there's a lot of oper- or sorry a lot of projects on the table we want to prioritize by probably what's going to have the biggest revenue impact right and sometimes with these marketers or partnership people they're in their own realm and they're focusing on their job and they don't understand that another department's project could have a larger impact on revenue which is ultimately the end goal yeah when we're going to make a hypothesis and test it we need the data Right. So as we acquire more customers, as our customer base grows, especially in the way that we want it to, you know, if we're focusing up market and maybe we're in the SMB space, we start to see that trend and we gather more customers. We can obviously use that data as insights. Um, And then I think the experience one is something that we always will have. We're hiring great leaders all the time. We do it at Zinnier with a director of demand gen or a head of partnerships that has done this for years and years and brings that level of expertise is something we heavily want to consider. And then we kind of merge that with what we've seen from a customer experience standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, one of the things that we talk about a lot, and you mentioned it just there, which is like a data hypothesis. We use uh, a term we we kind of have taken from design thinking and durability testing. You're going to have these known gaps when you look at, and we use a method called 3BC, which is looking at the pipe pipeline or buying experience and figuring out over a six month period, how you're performing against yourself in the industry. And then we can say with certainty, there's a gap in your stage zero to stage one conversions. It's probably a marketing operations problem. Let's dive into there. What's our experience tell us? What does our intuition tell us? And then we can sort of, you know, formulate the work there. But sometimes you see a pattern, but you don't know how to solve it. So you have to go do some durability testing, either through data, interviews, so on. What are some of the common durability testing that you would recommend to someone who sees an issue in their organization, but isn't quite sure what the root cause is? Yeah, I think it's peeling back the layers one by one. So if we're looking at something like conversion rates, 
right? The, the first thing that comes to my mind is, okay, who are we targeting and how are we targeting them, right? So we're gonna look at things like activity, cadence performance, all of those good metrics. And then from there, we start to benchmark across the industry. There's plenty of that data out there that you yep. can reference. And then it comes back to the accounts and the people that we're targeting. So if we're seeing you know, high volume of activity, but maybe not great conversion rates for meetings or things like that, we got to ask ourselves the questions of who we're targeting. Now, on the other side of things, when we think of a RevOps customer, I always think of salespeople and durability testing is running through their day, like almost like a rep ride, but yeah. you're the one that's actually running through and understanding like, okay, is the, the strategy that we adopted into tools optimized for mm -hmm. that customer? who's yeah. obviously in sales and things like that. So you're speaking my language. So, I mean, we obviously have communication and, and, and you know, we've worked together in the past, but the strategies leading to the tools portion, that's a great place for durability testing and sort of emerge and, and uh, play a role in figuring out if we were right with the first strategy, because if you, otherwise you go strategy tools, enablement insights, you're waiting a long time to get that feedback back that your strategy might be failing. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. That's awesome. I've not really thought about that before. Great, great tip. Um, so the who, uh, and then, and then what are the other elements of, of sort of that process around finding proactive gaps and reactive gaps? Yeah, I think proactive wise, you know, we're always looking at things like pipeline generation and the precursors mm -hmm. to that and understanding that, okay, we obviously need meetings to get opportunities. And if we're not seeing that over time, we're gonna come up on an opportunity drought here. So as an organization, we need to put our focus on getting meetings. And then you, again, peeling back the layers. Do we have enough people for the BDRs to be chasing and are they targeting the right folks within that? So if we're not having meetings, the first thing that we're gonna do is really focus on the BDR effort, the AE and the marketing effort. Speaking of an ABM model, yeah. uh, but that's where we kind of throw the kitchen sink at it and say, guys, these are our top 10 accounts that we're going to go after. Let's put all of our effort into that from a marketing standpoint, the demand gen standpoint, all the programs, and then BDRs and AEs. Let's game plan and figure out count plans, who we're going to target and go after them from there. So I guess that's kind of forward looking. Reactive is understanding, okay, what happened the last week? What happened the last month? Not only how does that compare, but what's the output of that? So understanding, okay, we have a good amount of meetings. It looks on trend, but the ACV value that we're seeing is actually decreasing. Mm, yeah. So that's something retroactive that we have to identify right away and then course correct. Again, by peeling back those layers to understand why that ACV is low. Yeah. So at, at Go Nimbly, we have this model called 3BC. I wonder how apt it is in your role. So we say a revenue operator, not a business operator, because a business operator has to worry about things like, CAC and, you know, all of these other things, but as a revenue operator, the four most fundamental uh, levers you can pull are volume, velocity, value, and conversion. And you can look at each of your buying experiences or funnels across those and find gaps in that process pro like uh, reactively. So you can run that against, uh, you know, your last six months and see the patterns start to emerge. Uh, have, have you been able to get that far? Because I know that you've taken a data approach. We're getting there. I would say we're definitely getting there. Um, we have some, some of our levers are bigger than others, I mm. will say. So we've done some focus on those areas. Uh, but I think 
conversion is something that should everyone should look at. It's such an important indicator, right? And then from there, deal velocity is great, but being in the current climate, obviously there was a big shift there. So it's not as reliable. Yeah, patterns are only starting to emerge now and it's still iffy, right? Like Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So for us, I would say that conversion is probably the biggest thing that we're focused on right now. And is it, is it getting micro, uh, be, like micro increments of, of conversion? Or are you guys looking to say, if it's overall 5%, we're trying to get it to 10%. Are you doing big leaps? Or are you doing iterative approach? And what's your, what's your thought process on going big or doing iterative? I like going big. Uh, but with realistic milestones. And what I mean by that is we recently undertook a project to increase our conversion rate um, pretty significantly. And when we plotted out the projects and kind of the, the processes to get there, some had a bigger impact than others, but all were necessary in the sense. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the biggest thing that we did was really hone in on the persona and who we want to talk to and partnering with marketing product marketing to deliver the right message from the BDR, the marketing teams, the AEs. Huge increase there versus looking at something that's kind of minuscule that you might think of like calling times and reach out hours based in territory. It led to higher uh, connection rate, which ultimately gained more conversion. So that was an incremental increase. But I think overall, when we plot it out, we plot a high bar and we figure out what are the milestones that are going to get us there prioritize the ones that are going to give us that biggest lift, but make sure that we follow through to the end. Yeah. Uh, uh, close the loop, so to speak on, on that uh, function. I like to think of in RevOps, the, these things we're doing is like, there's going to be the thing that gives us the big revenue impact, but it's a series of initiatives that are actually going to get us the value of revenue operations holistically. And I think that's to me, the fundamental mind shift between traditional operations or sales operations or marketing operations and RevOps, which is we're after fundamental sustainable lift. We're not after solving each problem in its own individual essence. We're trying to really up level to something bigger. Um, the conversations yeah. I have with revenue operations people versus when I, you know, I, I interacted with a lot of sales operations people, which I did in my career, uh, is a different level of conversation that's occurring. I think it's a natural, um, a natural place for sales operations and marketing operations to step into. But I think those people who are resisting it are used to having tangible check boxes that you can check off and say, I'm done with this initiative. When in reality, the initiative was not to, you know, do territory management and sales force. The initiative was to improve conversion rate by say 10 points. And I think that's the biggest difference in, in the two. What is some of the biggest differences you've noticed? Well, to follow up on that, I call them light switch problems, right? Mm. Uh, from a sales standpoint, we fix this, we're golden. And that's not necessarily the case. And this is where the psychology part you mentioned earlier comes in is as a RevOps leader, we have to get those key stakeholders, the department leaders, even the end users like the sales reps to understand the overarching picture and mm. what is the overarching goal. So that's something that's super important when it comes to discussing our projects outside of revenue operations is tying it into right now, for us, it's revenue impact. And understanding that this is the the lift that we want to see, or, hey, this is the conversion increase that we want to see. Here's how we're going to get there. Yeah, absolutely. So that's for super important for us. And it's a challenge we face every single day because it's always like, if you fix this problem, it's done. But it's not always the case. Yeah. 
very rarely is that the case, especially at the companies that we are lucky enough to work with. They, you're going through, like uh, Twilio is one of our customers. And as, as we've worked with them over the years, they've been 10 companies. They're not the same, right? And, and that's the problem with high growth and why silos are so naturally emerging in them. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you and something that you, you mentioned that was not in the pre-interview, but I, I, I'm really queuing in on and, and enjoying is I talk a lot about the personalized buying experience being around, it's time for B2B to realize that your customer is a person and every gap they experience, they will vote with their dollars or they will not give you the longer contract or they won't move you across the organization because it's too much political capital for them. And you're talking a lot about this who too. So do you believe in the personalized buying experience for these people? A hundred percent. It's built into our pipeline process and our, our sales process is not only understanding the business impact, but the individual impact. And like you said, even though it's business, it's usually personal to tie to one person. And right. really, if you can find out what their pains are, I'm sure the company, their pains are amplified by what the company's pains are. Yeah. But getting to that level is so key in driving these deals forward. Yeah, I use a ABM model and engagement score. But the problem with engagement score, in my opinion, is how do you separate the person from the account? And so what I've moved into is there is a intent urgency, which is saying the account holistically is showing something. And then the contacts have to show an engagement because you need urgency and a, and a person, a champion or a series of champions to actually sell something to someone. And I'm using those two composites together to, to say how we should prioritize an organization. And I'm working with our head of RevOps to, to build systems for that, right? And eventually bring it to our customers as models that they can adopt as well. But I find that a lot of the ABM models uh, can scale if done correctly with the correct tooling. Like if you have intent score and you're using Bombora and you have, you know, job postings are a key uh, thing for us. If someone's looking for a sales ops person, why hire a sales ops person? You should just hire Go Nimbly. We're better. And so with those kind of intent things, we can figure out who the account is, but we necessarily don't know who at the account is the buyer. And so we need to then engage with the buyer. And it makes it very clear is marketing and sales collaborating on this. Is it an AEBDR function or is it a marketing problem? Because we have high engagement from users at the account, but we don't have the account intent, meaning the account isn't ever going to create urgency. So we're gonna have to rely on a lot of political capital to sell this thing. And I find that that is sort of the makeup that you have to kind of look for, which is, is there an urgency within the account that's bigger than the individual? And then do you have the individual personal person and that relationship figured out so that you can really close the deal, especially during COVID? So I'm, I'm very yeah. much into what you're talking about. I was going to say, we're very similar in that sense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in order to do this, and this is kind of a, the last standard question, is I don't believe in specialization at all. I believe generalization uh, and being a general uh, in a operational role, specifically in an operational role, but also in like a full stack developer role. And there's a couple of other roles that we have in our ecosystem that I really believe in this general, uh, general mindset. Um, I think shows more range. What's your experience with, you know, creating the Swiss army operator and do you believe in specialization or are you more in the range and dynamic sort of individuals? I'm definitely in the, the more range and dynamic. I think the, the specialization kind of happens organically in an org when someone's really good at something, especially if it's having an impact. Um, now what I look for, it's to be honest, the genuine curiosity of an operations person, I think is so important because people can go out and create reports and then ship it. But if they don't take the time to analyze it and have that genuine curiosity to dig deeper, to find out why this metric is showing the way it is, then 
I don't think they're going to be as successful in the career. And I also think when it comes to kind of being the Swiss Army knife, knife, it's it's super important, especially if you have a wealth of knowledge in one area. So let's say that, you know, I'm great at uh, sales operations, but I am forced to work in marketing ops as well or help solve their challenges. It's only going to make my processes more succinct. It's going to make sure that I can speak to the data that's coming in, kind of where my job starts and the marketing ops finishes. So I'm a big believer in being that Swiss army knife. It's just that pitfall of being very good at, at one thing and being pigeonholed into that, I think is a, a little bit of a trap that people need to realize, but explaining that kind of seeing the whole landscape just makes us that much more effective at that piece is key. Yeah. We, we hire, you know, people who are specialized in a skill because that's who we bring in. And then we try to deprogram. It's, it's kind of like that scene in Clockwork Orange where, you know, <laughs> we're trying to deprogram them. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things I found is hiring people who are very good, but are frustrated by the very first point you made, which is every team has their own definition of X. Every team has their own and realizing that's actually one job. And that's why that's so frustrating is because you are, you have the intent I believe operators are problem solvers and creative problem solvers, and they want to solve the problems of these businesses and nothing pisses you off more than you go through all of this work to find out that marketing operators have a different opinion. And it's not that you're mad at them. It comes off that way, but you're more frustrated that all this hard work you put into something is for not. And I, and I try to teach people through like, would you rather be good or frustrated forever? Cause you're gonna have to, if you, the deeper you go and the more you're going to feel like nobody can possibly understand anything you say, because that's what happens when we are deeply specialized. Ever talk to a brain surgeon, it's like talking to a Martian, right? It's like, they don't have a, a, a grasp of this general reality that we all live in. Um, and so I, I definitely think that that's a good way of sort of pushing people to a more generalist mindset, which is remember how frustrated you were when, you know, you spent six months on something and you never were able to release it because marketing had done something else or vice versa. Um, and that tends to keep these really good people focused on, on growth. Do you have any tips for anyone who's trying to build out their team? I would say, you know, look at the areas that are most important to the business right now. And as you scale over the next 12 to 20 months mm -hmm. and hire people that have that skill set, but also have that genuine curiosity of the full funnel and, aren't afraid of taking on challenges where maybe they are a great marketing operator, but they also want to learn how the sales funnel operates and all the things that go into that and measuring that and what that means. And I think that that's a great thing to do because now they're going to understand that, Hey, I'm not in the business of getting MQLs. Marketing's in the business of driving revenue yeah. and can align systems and processes from there. So I think overall is kind of identifying where your pains are now aligning a skill and then having someone that's genuinely curious or to your point, brilliantly put frustrated with kind of that metric in their past previous career. Yeah. And you're giving them the, you're giving them the opportunity to do what they always wanted to do, which is kind of own something from beginning to end. I mean, I think it's like taking the handcuffs. Uh, last question yeah, for you. Absolutely. Now that you've selfishly taken all of the spotlight, what kind of question do you have for Jason Reichel? Uh, the revenue operations genius. <laughs> Yes. I let's talk about the current time, you know, with okay. the pandemic raging on, what are some of the, the newest trends that you're seeing in RevOps in terms of strategies and tools that are being adopted to kind of cope mm -hmm. with this pandemic and the different selling environment? Yeah. So most popular sales tools is refocusing on expansion. So expansion is up huge. I don't know if you're seeing this within your thing is 
people are more likely to buy more product right now from vendors they know and trust and, and sort of push out other solutions, especially if you're a mid tier price solution um, and you have other offerings and features. And I think that goes hand in hand with we're seeing a deeper account strategy and deeper coaching. So tools like Chorus, uh, those kind of tools are becoming much more popular because it's at the organization has a lot more time to actually uh, watch and coach because we're still in a lot of meetings, but we're in less meetings because we're not in the same space together. Right. So people are not bothering me as much. So, you know, I have the opportunity or, or my CSO has the opportunity to jump on some, a course thing and say, Hey, I think we should explain this differently. And you can set up a ton of triggers in those tools to reinforce whatever you're going for. Um, and net new, I think the biggest strategy is truly driving value based on what the customer's asking for. Like if I was a customer, I would ask for everything I wanted right now because you would get it. And I actually think that's better and healthier for, uh, for SaaS to understand that the customer will win and it's a, it's a sales and marketing and revenue job to protect and you are not going to win with just product features. I think this is a huge transformational time for everyone, which is if you exist past this, we have to accept that your product is good. But if you thrive past this, your revenue team is good. And I think that ultimately will be a sort of changing of the guard. And I actually think revenue operations is going to come out even stronger on the other end of this as something that was not only able to sustain, but able to grow because the strategy of hiring 15 BDRs is not the right strategy right now, right? Doubling down and figuring out how to scale with, with, with game, not gamification, but design, intentional design, I think is the right solution right now. And I'm, I'm seeing a lot more like Bombora just added uh, RevOps as a topic that you can, you can, you know, look on for intent data. That alone shows you how important this is, but the companies who are looking in revenue operations right now are totally large enterprise companies. It's not this little small thing. So they're looking to pick up points on their existing business and points on their existing relationships that they have with their staff that they currently have. Because the idea of hiring 10 AEs and one or two of them working out is a little scary, let alone we don't know if we have the volume for it. So, so that's what I'm seeing. Same question back to you. What are you experiencing? Very similar. I, I think that for us, the the coaching piece is huge and really understanding the account. And if it's someone that's maybe doesn't have intent, it's switching up kind of the initial outreach to be more educational, more consultative, mm. right? To understand, are you guys truly experiencing these challenges? Not making that predetermined assumption like we used to and just fire it out through outreach, yeah. right? Um, it's really taking the time to understand the account and just going a lot further to the level of personalization to have that initial connection and start that conversation. I think every company that's doing exactly what you're doing when times get uh, going again is going to reap the benefits of per like developing a personalized seed with those accounts where when they have revenue, they're going to hand it over to you. So, you know, I think it's a winning strategy and, and I think that you guys are hitting everything correctly. Well, congratulations on yes. all your success, sir. Thank you for killing some silos with me for 30 minutes. I appreciate it. Maybe we went a little over. Someone will yell at me about that. But until I see you again, it's been wonderful talking to you. Thank you so much, man. Great chat and have a great weekend, Jason. You too. Bye. See ya.